We're in the middle of a series called Wisdom Literature, and there's five books in the Old Testament that are kind of a collection of books that describe how to react to life from God's perspective. And so we're working through different books. Uh, last week, we looked kind of part A at the book of Psalms. This week, we're going to be looking at part B. Last week was more about Psalms of struggle. This week, we're going to be looking at Psalms of praise. And how does praise enable us to see life and uh, react to life in a healthier way. <clears throat> Let's begin by asking the question, what is praise? When we, if you've ever read the book of Psalms, you see lots of times that we're exhorted and told how to praise God. Here's a definition that might be helpful for you. Praise is dwelling on God's nature and work at all times. It's dwelling on God's nature and work at all times. Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. If you are praising God, you're thinking about who he is and what he does. And the more you apply that to different areas of life, the more your praise is widening. So uh, just by way of example, Psalm 136. I just took a few portions out of Psalm 136. This is what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens and the earth. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. What praise is doing then is it's seeing who God is and what he's done, and it's dwelling on that. It's focusing on that. So think of all the different things that you think about during the day. Or, well, don't think about everything. But, you know, but think about what do you think about during the day. Uh, praise is taking time out of that thought life and focusing on God's nature and his works. And it's, it's, it's uh, removing the distractions and focusing on who he is and overlaying who he is on particular life circumstances. When we worship or praise God on a Sunday, in a sense, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal where we're practicing how to remember God in a specific situation. So we all come together, because it's easier here, to focus on him, to be encouraged by one another, and then we take this mindset, this attitude called praise and worship, and we go out into our week, which is now, you know, the real life. And we take it into specific areas of our life and reframe our life according to who he is. So that's what praise is. What is the opposite of praise? Now, uh, it could be easy to think that the opposite of praise is negativity. You know, don't be a Debbie Downer. Sorry, that's your name. I don't <laughs> mean to say it that way. But uh, it's, it's just a phrase. Um, but we can think, that, uh, we can think that, that praise is kind of being positive, and then if you do the opposite of praise, you're being negative. Have you ever thought that way? Uh, so... Uh, you're praising God and you're living a life of praise if you're always kind of a little bit up and a little bit naive. And uh, if you just kind of look at the bright side of everything, 
you're living a life of praise. As I study the Psalms and Scripture in general, there's a different thing that we're going to focus on today that is the opposite of praise. And it's this word, idolatry. In Psalm 97.7, it says, um, All who worship images are put to shame, those who boast in idols. Worship him, all you gods. So not only are you put to shame, even the gods should worship the true and living God. The opposite of praising God is praising alternate gods, desires, and things. So the opposite of praising God is not simply being positive. The opposite of praising God is praising other things. This is a really big deal, and I'd like to unpack this together with you this morning. Uh, point number three, what is evidence of false praise, uh, of, of worshiping and exalting things that are not God? In Psalm 135.18, it says, Those who make idols, make them, will be like them. So will all who trust in them. So if you, uh, uh, the point is, is that you and I become whatever we worship. Uh, and so if you, if you make an idol, I mean, nobody's making idols, at least not in the old-fashioned way, but if you, if you make an idol, you have something in your life that you're praising and exalting and glorifying and, and desiring and being attracted to above all else, you will become like that thing. You follow me on this? So let's, uh, let's take some examples. Let's talk about exalting or praising a person. I know it's weird language to say I, I praise a person, but uh, just work with me on this. Uh, let's say you have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or, you, uh, or you're married, or even friendships. Uh, how can you tell if they're a false object of worship, how do you know if they have taken the place of God in your heart? Uh, the way that you find this out is you see how they're doing. And you will become like that. So imagine you're in a, in a dating relationship and, uh, and you've just gone through a rough patch, and you're arguing with one another, and it's not going well, and uh, how you're doing and how they're doing, if you become that, that's a sign that you're worshiping them. If you're around a group of people who is really negative and, uh, or, or sexual talk, and you find that even when you're not around them, those kinds of thoughts are coming through your mind. They're an idol. They're an object of worship, and you're becoming like them. Uh, you become, just follow me. Just, it's going to make sense in a minute. But you become how they are doing. You become how they are doing. 
Let's take a few more. What about the idol of money? And so you, uh, you look at the stock market or you look at your, uh, your paycheck at the end of the month and you go, that's not great. This is not going well. Money is not doing well right now. And so you become how it's doing. And if the money isn't doing well, you're not doing well. So you've, you're now praising money. You're, you're giving it a place in your heart that is now defining you. Uh, what about fitness? I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they says it's, it, it's, uh, it's fascinating how if you go, I hardly ever go into a gym. They're all sweaty, and I don't like going in there. But... Uh, but if, you, if you, uh, but if you go into a gym, and uh, what do you see on the walls? Mirrors, right? They're everywhere. That's the worst part for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get over that, not see more of that. Uh, um, so, uh, but but you, you, you go into a gym, and, and so you're, you can't help it. You, you know, you look at yourself. You know, you try to suck whatever in needs to be sucked in, and you... Uh, and you, you judge how you're doing by your level of fitness. And so I'm having a, a I'm, I'm doing well today because I could do, you know, more reps of something or lift something more or longer on the treadmill. So I'm having a good day. And so your object of praise and worship is fitness. And if your fitness is going well, then you're doing well. But if you miss the gym a few days and you had one too many, you know, cheesecakes or whatever it is, that, uh, that then you're not doing well. And so you can tell what you worship by what your emotional well-being is reacting off of. Are you, is this starting to make a little bit more sense? A really popular idol these days is hurt. And so somebody hurts you or there's something negative that happened in the past <clears throat> and it becomes an idol. I can't feel good because this negative thing happened to me. I can't get over that. <clears throat> what they did to me, I will not forget. That negative experience is in fact an idol or an object of praise. Now, it's not, you know, I love you pain. I'm not, but it's, it's exalting pain. It's exalting an experience or the person who committed that against you. And it's giving them a place in their heart that's defining you. And so, what if the reason for negative emotions in our life are not because we're not being positive enough, but because we're not finding better gods to define our emotional well-being. So, uh, you know, you can ask how your boyfriend or girlfriend is doing, how your spouse is doing, how your fitness level, or your hurt, or your money, or whatever it is, and you can react off of that. And usually those things aren't ideal, 
And so then you're not ideal because that's what you're defining yourself by. So the question that needs to be asked, in contrast, how's God doing? I don't know if you've ever asked him this question before. How are you doing today? Uh, but, but if you were to ask God today, how are you doing? You know, <laughs> how's, how's he doing? I think he's doing okay. I, I do. I, I think he's, I think he's, uh, he's doing fine. So that means, it doesn't mean that he's not bothered by things, or, but he's not uh, anxious or out of control or despondent or none of those things. Any, any of those negative emotions that you and I deal with, I'm pretty sure that's not how he's doing. So if I'm to then worship him, I would be doing like that. And if I'm despondent and discouraged and overwhelmed and full of revenge and bitterness, that's a sign that I'm not exalting him, I'm exalting another thing. And the way that I get a better emotion is not by controlling that and going to my happy place, it's by saying, I'm reflecting the emotion of the thing that I'm worshiping. And so if I'm to find a better emotion, I've got to find a better God to define me, and then I'll be in their image instead of the image of these other things that obviously aren't defining me very well because I'm not doing very well. So you overcome negative emotions through dealing with our idolatry not through positivity. Does this make sense to you? This is super helpful for me. Because instead of working on my emotions, I work on my praise. I work on my worship. And now I have a concrete way to feel differently that isn't just kind of psychological positivity something that's kind of more trickery than anything else. So if God's doing okay and we're worshiping him, then we're doing okay too. And if you're not doing okay, you shift your worship, your exaltation of something in your heart. Before we go to the last point, um, I just need to ask you this question, because it's a question that I, I, I think about. Um, are you okay with being okay? Um, sometimes I feel guilty if I'm okay because I must be in denial, because I know for sure I messed up, and I know for sure my world is less than ideal, and so the fact that I'm being okay, that's not okay. I gotta be working on something. I gotta be fixing something, because I'm a Christian, and Christians fix things, and improve, and become better people. And so I can't be doing okay. That's not okay. Uh, to add to this, um, 
uh, people who, who study, uh, uh, you know, if you, in psychology, you know the, the language, but adult children of alcoholics, people who study adult children of alcoholics, what they've noticed is that uh, a child who's now grown up but had an alcoholic parent um, finds it more comfortable to live in crisis than in peace. Because it's not comfortable. I'm used to adrenaline. I'm used to managing chaos. And if everything's okay, I start getting twitchy. I start getting nervous. And what they've actually found is that uh, adult children of alcoholics create crisis in order to feel okay. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, that's a moment of idolatry. And it says that uh, what's def what, what defines me is a past uh, you know, relationship or experience, and that's a familiar God to me. And so I go back there. It's not ideal, but it's familiar. And so I return. One of the things that I uh, do much prayer on in my personal devotions is to let myself, it sounds weird, um, have a good day because he's doing well. I don't know if I'm doing well, a little messy. I don't know if my world's doing well, but he's doing well. And I am praising him. I am dwelling on his nature and his history and it's him that is defining my moments. And as I dwell, praise, worship him, I can actually have a good day. And I'm not living in denial. I'm not reacting off of needing chaos to, you know, to feel none of that's going on. I can actually have a good day. So our last point. How do we grow in praise? How do, we, how do we increase this attitude of exalting God? We simply do this. We change our object of praise in more and more situations. So if I go through the day, there's some situations that are not very idolatrous to me. Um, you know, I have my cereal in the morning. I'm not, you know, that's not traumatic for me. <laughs> but uh, if one of my kids starts acting out, or if I get a phone call and somebody's not doing well, or somebody gets upset with me, uh, I want to, I want to turn to a thought or a, uh, or to a desire that's going to help me manage that moment instead of staying in praise, staying in worship, staying in the adoration of God. Certain moments shake me. And my Christian growth is to take what has always been true about God and apply it 
to more and more situations in my life. So somebody is uh, somebody's struggling with pornography, and it's overwhelming. It's all you're thinking about that became an object of worship. And rather than controlling the desire, you switch your praise. But you are good. You satisfy the longings of my soul. You are the one who's worthy to define my emotional well-being. This is not, this is a false God. And the reason why I'm frustrated and overwhelmed and obsessed is because this God is not coming through for me. I've exalted them to a place that they are not worthy to have. And the only way to defeat that God is to exalt your name above theirs. Now I'm walking in freedom. Now I'm walking in life and victory. Not because I've suppressed something, but because I've worshipped something better in that moment. Psalm 42.5 says, Why my soul... What a great question to ask your soul. I don't even know how you do that. But why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Have you ever felt disturbed or downcast? And you look inside, go cross-eyed. What, you know, what, what, why? And what's the response? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why are you downcast? Ah, you're looking to this person to define you. You're looking to your work to define you. You're looking to that idea, that emotion to define you. Oh, soul, put your hope in God because I praise him and worship him. I'm defined by him. Now I'm victorious. Not through managing feelings, but through shifting worship. One of the things that we've been talking about in our church is that this year we're encouraging you to believe, for one, to believe that you could bring one person to know Jesus as the living God and to be set free from their false idols, just like you're trying to be from yours. Now, when you hear that, what comes up inside of you? Um, I'm inadequate. Okay, so who are you worshiping in that moment? You. Um, uh, my friends are highly resistant to all things spiritual. Now who are you worshiping? Them. Um, I don't believe that I know enough about Jesus to help other people. Now what are you worshiping? Your knowledge. How are you going to overcome all of those excuses for loving someone else? You have enough knowledge. You created me in your image and you created them in your image. You designed them to know you. You have in, enabled me by your grace 
to be a minister of reconciliation, and I praise you for the gift that you've given me to give to others. My worship sets me free. I would venture to say that it's not more study on evangelism, not psyching yourself up, you know, out of guilt and shame to talk to somebody. I don't think that that's very helpful at all. Instead, you say, no, I, I, I'm, I am in this moment dwelling on you. That's all that's going on for me. And that's more than what I need to turn this moment into being okay and not full of being downcast, sad, overwhelmed, disturbed. In conclusion, idolatry is the thief that is stealing away the life of God in your life. Idolatry is your and my primary thief that is a stealing away emotional well-being in the abundant life that God promises. This has uh, really been shaking me. Many of you know, if you know, I have a, I have a counseling background, and I am, I am incredibly grateful for that background, <clears throat> really. And uh, uh, when I've gone for counseling, there's two particular things that really stand out in my mind. One is, it's an, it's an overwhelming gift to be listened to. It's just, uh, and to be understood without judgment. It's a huge gift. And I think the church at large could learn something from counselors about how to be non-judgmental for a minute. <clears throat> and then counselors are really uh, often gifted at asking very insightful questions, taking you to a place that isn't just about giving advice, but is kind of opening up new avenues of insight. Super helpful. But I've been struggling with the typical counseling model in that as good as it is to be listened to, as good as it is to have questions asked, there's a deeper thing going on that, I, that counseling typically does not address, and it's the idols of our heart. And unless those idols are confronted, you will remain downcast and disturbed. And if all you do is treat the symptoms of those emotions, you're going to have a lot of hard work ahead of you. But if you treat those emotions as symptoms of a root of idolatry and kill that idol by exalting someone better, now you're free. I have a hunch that if you grab hold of this, it's going to change your life. This is a big deal. The last verse of uh, 1 John in the Bible, so, you know, speaking through five chapters, and then uh, the Apostle John wants to say one more thing 
to conclude. Like after all that's been said, last verse, First John 5, 21, beloved children, keep yourself from idols. I just talked a lot, but at the end of the day, keep yourself, beloved children, from idols. They'll kill you. Father, I pray that we would not simply deal with symptoms, emotional symptoms, but that you would give us the grace to be aware of the idols that are in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would show us that, show us what we're worshiping, show us what we're praising and exalting. It's hard to see sometimes because we're so wrapped up in the moment. But give us the grace to step back and go, oh, my emotions are simply a reflection of my God. And the only way to get better emotions is to get a better God. Oh, Father, I worship you in this moment. Oh, Father, I bless you at all times. Oh, Father, I speak to my soul and say, hope in the Lord because I will yet praise him. Thank you for giving us such a realistic and powerful deliverance model, the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for setting us free from all that would steal, kill, and destroy us. And so right now, we practice as a dress rehearsal, seeking you, honoring you, worshiping you as practice for this coming week. Let's stand together. Thank you.